Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Ireland's Birth Stories, a podcast created for women to share their experiences with pregnancy and birth. My name is Cora Gernon and I've created this space to enable women to share their experiences from start to finish without feeling shy about the detail. Thank you to those who have taken the time to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps gain more exposure. So if you haven't, I would love if you could take the time, obviously if you're enjoying the podcast, if you could take the time just a moment to rate, review or subscribe wherever you listen to your episodes. So I'm delighted to say that Nook have come on board and will be supporting the podcast over the next couple of months. For over 60 years, Nook has used the latest medical science to develop products that have helped over 50 million children and their parents. The invention of the original Nook Teat, inspired by Mother Nature, to today's vast range of baby care products, each designed to make life that little bit easier for parents and children, means that Nook is a household name and a recent poll revealed their soother to be the most popular in Ireland. Nook products are constantly designed and developed with input from medical professionals, midwives and most importantly, the people who know more than anyone else about what a baby bottle needs to offer, mothers. With great products from learning to eat, a range of soothers for breastfed and bottle fed babies and household and care products, Nook has product solutions that make life easier for parents and children. Available in Macaulay Pharmacy, McCabe's Pharmacy, Lloyd's Pharmacy and also selected Dunn stores and pharmacies nationwide. So I will link Nook, uh, their social media and their website on the show notes. I just quickly wanted to mention our space, the private community I have created on the website, uh, irelandsworthstories.ie. If you go over to the Our Space tab, you can log in there, create your account, and that's where you can connect with other women who are at the same stage of life as you are. It is also so much easier if you download an app called Space, and that is where you can, you'll get notifications about uh conversations that have started someone who's responded to your own conversation so it's just much easier to keep track of instead of logging into your desktop every time i will also link how you can download the app in the show notes so this week i'm sharing a conversation that i had with ailish who is the founder of the bump room i'm sure a lot of you are aware of all the amazing work that she does she talks me through her three pregnancies and the births of her three little girls she had two hospital births and her last little girl she had a home birth a really gorgeous experience she shared some really nice photos with me um that i have 
put up on the Instagram page some really, really nice moments shared. So she did have three very different experiences, but there is so much to take away from our chat. So enjoy and I will chat to you next week. Ailish, you are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. Thank you. Do you want to just begin by giving us a little introduction to you and your lovely family? Okay, so my name is Ailish. Um, I'm a mother of three girls, 11, Neve is 11, Anna is nine, and Maria is six. And um, I'm married to Eamon. He's a dairy farmer. And I work as uh, I work as a physiotherapist. Um, but I've taken a career break since September to focus on my business, which is the bump room, which is pregnancy, pregnancy fitness and postnatal fitness classes. And how's that going? Yeah. You're welcome to chat a little bit about it so our listeners know what goes on in the bump room. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, it's going great. I mean, like, I started teaching 12 years ago when I was working in the maternity in, in Limerick. And I... I really wanted to do some evening work because I realized that actually when you're married to a dairy farmer, they, they work late. So I was like at home twiddling my thumbs and said, oh, I may as well just be out working. Um, and because I was working in the maternity, I, I really wa- I wanted to do classes because I, I wanted to I, I felt a kind of calling to do that. I wanted to teach classes. So and because I was working in the maternity, I said, oh, I'll start with pregnant women. Um, but I was really scared, even though I was working in the maternity, even though I'm a physio, I was really scared to like, how much can I, how much can I do with them? I was afraid of like breaking them or hurting the baby or causing a miscarriage or all the stuff. Right. And, um, so I was teaching my classes and then I got pregnant, uh, which was great because I don't think I would have started the classes while pregnant. So it was great that I had started before and then I got pregnant while I was teaching the classes. And then I was like, oh, like, I actually want to do more. You know, I, I, I was I was being pretty safe before that. I was being very like sedate, I would say. And then I was like, I kind of want to feel like I'm doing more. Um, so I started really kind of experimenting with different content and what felt right, what didn't feel right. And because the evidence, there was no evidence. There was nothing. People don't study pregnant women. They just don't. I don't know if it's because they don't they're not interesting or I like ethics or I don't know, but like there was nothing, there was nothing. Um, and so I, I, now it's different. It's totally different now, but like, so I just started teaching the classes and I, and and then once I got confidence and started to trust myself and believe myself, I got, I started getting busy, really busy. And then next thing I knew I was teaching like four classes a week and still working full time. And I was like, okay, something's got to give here. So then um, I got a a physio came to help me. And then I kind of started realizing there was a real need for this, like, because there was lots of yoga, but there wasn't stuff for like staying strong, you know. So um, I said to Katrina, let's put a bit of money in and come up with like a name, a business, a website, all that. So we did. And we called it the Bump Room, which actually took three months to come up with. Like, it's an easy name, but it actually took (laughs) three months to come up with. And that was in 2012. I started my career break in September so happy because we pulled all our classes across the zoom there was no way we could have done it if if I wasn't full-time focused on it you know so do you want to talk us through your first pregnancy my first pregnancy um okay yeah so my first pregnancy was in 2009 I got pregnant straight away like as soon as we made the decision I got pregnant straight away so that, that was good um I 
started to get pelvic girdle pain pretty early on, like from around 15 weeks. And that was, you know, that was hard, but like as a physio and I suppose from doing the classes, it was good because I could really connect and understand how to change my classes, you know? So it was really good from a learning experience. Um, it was still difficult though. So I have a lot of empathy for women that get pelvic girdle pain during their pregnancies. Um, my dad then got sick. Uh, he'd had cancer when he was 60. Um, he was 67 now when I was pregnant and the cancer had come back and he had, he was getting worse and worse during my pregnancy. And, um, the last half of my pregnancy, it was, it was just kind of watching my dad fade away, you know, and my sister came home from Argentina to christen her son um when I was like say eight months pregnant and my dad like he just he just he he just performed out of his skin like he he was going to be there like for her you know and then the day the day um she left he he collapsed at home and that was it then um he died four weeks later and so I was due on the 24th of November daddy passed away on the 4th of November and what was great was that I was at I moved in home really with my mother my brother came down from Dublin he was able to work from home and we were able to look after him for those last four weeks I felt guilty that I couldn't really do the nights you know because I just was really tired um but when he when his time did come we were there in the house, you know, and they, the my other brother was with him, and uh, the the nurse was there, and they caught they woke us up, and they said it's it's coming, it's time, you know, and um, daddy passed away, and I I was actually so relieved that he passed away before I had my baby, because I got to be with him like one hundred percent the whole time. Whereas if all of that had been going on and I'd been looking after a newborn, I wouldn't have been able to be there, you know? So that was, so that happened just a month before she was born. And, um, it was very peaceful death, you know? So it was like, it was what he wanted. He died at home. Like, so, um, I just remember being so pregnant at the funeral and like, barely able to walk with the pelvic pain and just like just it being a bit of a struggle you know um and And what's what type of headspace were you in then you probably weren't in the labor and birth prep headspace at all so how did you feel then yeah I, I really wasn't um I wasn't at all like all of that had stopped I hadn't done any prep nothing like you know and then the next thing, you know, daddy died the 4th of November. I was due the 24th and I just kind of felt like kind of like, I just probably had like a few weeks, like a week or two to kind of get where I was really sad. But then, and I, I, I know this sounds weird, but I'm sure lots of people can relate to this who've had a parent that's died of cancer. Like I saw him suffer a lot the last few months, you know, um, and when that when his time did come, I just had an immense sense of relief that it was over for him, that he didn't have to suffer anymore, you know. So from that aspect, 
you know you prepare yourself as well like I'd been I'd been preparing like we'd been going I'd been I'd said everything I needed to say to daddy like I had you know there was you know we'd had some great times together like um coming up to the end like you know we we it was good and uh, so I didn't have any I was really I don't know the word is I was really complete like I was like he died at home that was his wish we were all there I was with him at the end my mother was there everyone was there um you know my sister wasn't there but you know she like she'd gone back to Argentina but she you know she got to, she knew when she was saying goodbye to him you know um and yeah so so I wasn't in that space at all right and then next thing um I had to go for an antenatal appointment and it was just like um so routine like you know I obviously I didn't tell him my father passed away or whatever but like I just was like like the doctor I met like just didn't no conversation you know I I went public you know um no and he just examined me saw that I was whatever Jew and then and then he said okay I'm going to book you in for an induction uh and it was when I was six days over he was booking me in for an induction and in my mind because I hadn't really been in that space or I hadn't you know I just was like okay 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 and I left and we had like zero discussion around why was I being induced what were the indications like you know what what would the procedure involve it was literally just I'm booking you in and and I like literally I was just pulling up my trousers as he was walking out the room it was like that was that was it right it was like so now this is 12 years ago I think things are probably better now and then next thing you know I'm six days over and I haven't gone into labor you know, and I said to my husband, like, I don't, I don't want to be induced. Like every part of my body is telling me not to be induced. Every part of me. And also, I suppose I'd worked in the maternity. I had seen a lot of inductions that had ended up emergency cesareans, you know. And, but apart from that, though, I really intuitively knew, like, that I wasn't ready. The baby wasn't ready, you know. So I rang them and said, um, I actually, I'm okay. I'm not going to be induced. <laughs> and they were like, no, a doctor deems that you have to be induced. So you must come in. And I was like, okay. So I went in and the midwife was like, not friendly. Right. That I met. And she was, I, I was like, look, I just don't think I'm ready. Like, I don't think I can we push this out. And she goes, no, no, no. A medical decision was made that you had to be induced. If, if you want to have a discussion about that, you will have to be admitted and be seen by the doctor. And then I said, fine, I'll be admitted. All right, my husband was like, oh no. Right. So I was there for a long time and they decided to put the monitor on me. And another midwife who was nice and friendly said to me, uh, oh, you're here for induction. I said, no, actually, no, I'm not. I need to have a discussion about this. And she was like, do you not want to see your baby? no no I'm, I'm okay I just want to speak to a doctor <laughs> so eventually I got admitted I had to be admitted to a ward it was a bit of a you know a long wait and you know and, and my husband was a little bit like he told me afterwards he was a bit like god will you just fall in here now you know just yeah and so a lovely young SHO came up she said I hear you don't want to be induced I was like nope and she was like, fair enough, um, can lead to a cascade of interventions. Can I examine you first to see how you are? Because no one had examined me at all. They were just going to hook me up 
up and off you go like you know and she examined me and she said oh my god yeah your cervix is high and hard no way and she and I said okay great how far can I push this out and she was like um it's meant to be 10 days in Limerick and I and 10 days was going to be my dad's month's mind the anniversary mass and I said can't do it that day and I you know I'm not doing it that day and she said "Mm, okay I'm going to push you out to 12 days but it was really only because it was my dad's month's mind (laughs) you know like that was the only and I was like fine 12 days I'll take it and I I got to 10 days post I got to 10 days over and I started myself and I was so happy I'd started myself at home I was so so happy started myself and it was just like it was hard I didn't think it was going to be so hard the pain was really bad like and um I got and my sister-in-law's a midwife she was home from the UK and she came in and she examined me and she was like yeah okay look you're doing okay you know you're still like you know barely one centimeter which is like I tell the women in my classes never ask how many centimeters you are never ever because like it will you'll just be deflated like just ask if you're progressing and um so yeah so that was like there's lots of funny stories around that but then anyway eventually we went in and um I was put in the antenatal ward. Oh, I was in the bathroom. I was puking and pooing at the same time. It was like, and I just said like a big carton of like, you know, Ben Jerry's chocolate fish food. And it was all over the place. And then my waters broke. And it was just like this room of like vomit and poo and water amniotic fluid. <laughs> I was just like, this is awful. I remember thinking, this is awful, awful. And the pain was terrible, right? And I got like, I got down to the labor ward and I was just like, just give me the epidural, like give me the epidural. And, um, oh yeah, no, this is what happened. She examined me and she goes, mm, you're like barely two centimeters. And I was like, just give me the epidural. Like the minute she said that, I was like, just give me the epidural. Got the epidural. And then I was pushing and, and, and it's just, you know, I was pushing and nothing was happening. And then they called Slevin, who I know is like, a, you know, one of the good guy needs things. They're all good, but, you know, everyone knows Slevin. And um, I could see them unpacking the vacuum. And I was like, oh, oh, I don't want to vacuum. Like I knew like no instruments, no instruments. So I kind of started really focusing on my pushing. And I was like trying to do all the stuff I tell the people in my classes. And then he looked and he said, no, she's OK. She's a good pusher. And the baby came out then no episiotomy, no instruments. And she was an OP presentation afterwards. Like those OP presentations are nasty. Like that's why I was having so much back pain, you know. Um, and she was good. Everything was good. And I know for a fact, if I'd been induced at that six days, I would have been a cesarean without a doubt, you know. So... The thing about that birth that's kind of important to me is that I kind of stood my ground with the staff um, because I really powerfully felt that it wasn't my time. Like, I, I, it's all I can say. I knew it wasn't my time. I knew she wasn't ready. I knew my body wasn't ready. And I can't say how or why, but I just knew that really instinctively and somehow able to find the power to stand my ground and and even though we were left waiting for hours had to be admitted upstairs the doctor had to be called like you know my husband was really thinking god you're making such a fuss like you know 
Um, but like, so like that kind of does set the scene for my next few births, you know, because I, that gave me confidence afterwards. My second birth then is funny, right? So because of what had happened with the induction, I was like all set to lie about my dates, right? <laughs> the next time around, because I was like, I'm not going to risk them trying to bring me in at 10 days or whatever. And um, so I lied about my dates by like two days or whatever, but then they go by the scan anyway, you know. Um, but um, so I went, I went 14 days over this time around according to my dates. So it was 10 days according to, I think anyway, we were somewhere in the middle, right? But I was actually, I knew I was 14 days over and I was so sick of being pregnant. I was like, I was okay with being induced this time. And I also knew, I knew my body was close. The morning I was going in, I drove in by myself. I said, Eamon, come in later. He had an appointment. I said, come in later. I knew I was set to go. Like I could feel like my body was ready to go. So I had one. What did you feel when you say that? What did you feel? Just like loads of mucus. Like, you know, I was secreting loads of mucus the the day or two before. A sense of the pressure, a sense of the head dropping, just a sense of increased pressure and a sense as well of like almost like a, like I think it's like a sense that like, um, you know, the insomnia cranks up, the nesting gets heavy. Um, It's this sense of something is coming you know, your body is preparing you like something is coming. So I was, wasn't sleeping. I was like, I knew it was coming. I knew I was getting there. Like, so I was fine to go in and be induced this time. No problems. Plus I knew like I'd already done it. So like it wasn't going to be, but like I had no problems being induced this time. So I got one gel. I was put into a room with like three other women at like say nine o'clock in the morning. They gave me one gel. And by 11 o'clock I was in full labor, like, like I was really in full labor two hours. Like, like I was putting on the tens at 11 o'clock going, Jesus, this is like, this is kicking off big time. You know, I rang my husband. He was in Dublin. I was like, God, I think you're going to have to get in the car, like, and put the foot down, you know? And, um, there was a woman there from my classes and she walked, we walked around the building together. She'd been induced as well, but there was nothing happening with her. And I was like, <laughs> so, so then, um, there was no labor room free, right? There was no labor room free. And I came back up from the walk at around two o'clock, you know, really kind of going, mm. and the midwife examined me. And she goes, yeah, like you're kind of, you know, you're full in labor there now. Um, I was like, I, I want, I want some um, gas and air. Can I get some gas and air and get me? Th-? And she goes, there's no labor room. There's no labor room. And I was like, what? <laughs> and so then I was really kind of moaning and making a lot of noise. And like there were people coming into the room, like who were coming in on their first baby. And the husbands were like, they were looking, they didn't know which way to look like, because I was in full labor, like, and they were like, oh my God, she looks like she's. And so then next thing they brought down the gas and air to me in a, in a pulley thing, you know, like a canister, like a, yeah, a giant one, like brought it down to me. Mr. Yoke. Yeah. So I had it in the in the room with four other women and I'm like, <sighs> you know, and um that was fine, right? That must have been off putting for you. Like, though, and you want to kind of get into the zone into your like, like we pay enough yeah. tax. Like, surely to God, we should have decent maternity hospitals. Like, first of all, I was having to be in the throes of labor in front of three complete strangers one with her husband there who was actually he was like he was a vet he was telling me he was frightened and 
he was a vet, you know, after he saw me, he told my husband afterwards, he was like, oh God, that was, <laughs> he saw me moan and like, you know, like, yeah, no, it's like not, not good. Like, you know, like to, I should, you should be in your own room, like, you know, or anyway. Um, and I'm not saying that as a judgment or a blame on the services. It's just that that's the reality of the resources. And that's what we think is okay. Like, you don't see women protesting because we're all too busy. <laughs> but um, yeah, so then I was really in the throes of it. And I was like, oh, that's not going to last. Like, and next thing, the gas and air ran out. And I remember just going, there's no gas. <laughs> I was like, there's no gas in there. And next thing, the midwives knew I was causing a bit of a like scene, right? So they, they said, okay, we're going to bring you upstairs now. And I was like, oh, brilliant, the labor room. So I literally ran up the stairs two steps at a time. Like I ran ahead of them, right? Because I was so anxious to get to the labor room, right? And I remember I pushed through the double doors into the labor ward. And this midwife was there going, in here, in here. She was standing in here. And I just like ran in. And as I was running in, I got this really bad contraction. And I threw myself on a bed, like kind of in hands and knees. And like the bed didn't have brakes on. So the bed just kind of skid across the room. And I had one of those, like my bare arse was like up in the air. I had one of those, you know, those hospital things on. It was like a speed run. Like me skidding across the room on a bed, yeah. and they were all like, "Calm down, calm down!" And I was just like, oh, "You know, I'm going to have this baby." And um, sure enough, like there was no labor room. They they put me into the first aid room, right? And I got into this room. I didn't know it was the first aid room till afterwards. I was just like happy I was out of the other room, right? And I was like, oh, and give me something, give me something. And they're like, "We can't give you anything. We're not in the labor room. We can't give you um." we can't give you the epidural. We have to wait to the labor room. And then my husband was there and I was like screaming at him. Like I was like, help me, help me, help me. And he said like, if I'd screamed him anymore, he was going to go. Cause they were saying one lady's just finished. She's just having her tea and toast. And Eamon was like, he was going to go down and wheel her out. <laughs> Cause I was like, he said, if he to go down and wheel her out. Cause I was like, do something. And uh, I just was in the throes of it, like no epidural, just no, just the gas and air. And I was like, oh, my God. And then um, they gave me petadine. No, that was OK. That kind of that that took the edge off my aggression, I'd say. And then, then she was coming like. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I just was like, the, the midwife was like, okay, I think I think she's coming now. This is what you wanted. Because I said I didn't want to date This is what you wanted. And I was like, she's coming now. She's coming. Are you ready? And I was just like, hey. so pushed her out without the epidural. And um, to this day, I still, Anna, like Anna, she has a square shaped head, right? I felt every bit of her head. Like even when I still to this day, when I feel her square head, I just remember it coming out of my pelvis. Like I was like, oh, my God. But then the relief afterwards, I was so thrilled at myself. I'd done it without the epidural. Like I was like, oh, this is possible. I felt like I should have been given a medal, like, you know, um, and not because having an epidural is any lesser or any. But I just wanted to know what it was like, you know, teaching the classes and everything. And so that was that. Right. So that was brilliant. And she was, you know she was a great baby like um and how did you bottle feed or breastfeed I breastfed yeah and I had um Anna had a tongue tie like and I like she destroyed me like in the first week and only that I Neve hadn't I knew there was something wrong you know I knew there was something wrong and again I actually had to fight a bit for that too like you know went into the lactation services in the hospital and they were like, mm, you know, she has a bit of a, um, she, they didn't even say tongue tie. They just said her latch wasn't great. And then I rang station consultant down in Kinsale and she's, she, over the phone, she said, yeah, it's definite. It's a tongue tie. I know it's by my symptoms, you know? So then I got that snipped really quickly, like two days later down in Clamel and immediately, immediately the relief, like, you know, the relief, but like, if that had been my first child, I would have stopped. I would have stopped without a doubt, you know, um, it's horrendous. Like, you know, the pain, like that toe curling pain, you put them on your nipple and it's like toe curling pain, you know. Um, but like once that got sorted, it was like we were flying it. And yeah, so then I have to tell you, now a real story I really want to tell you is my last story. So um, got pregnant again. So at this point, Neve was 
four and Anna was like, was, Neve was four, nearly five, and Anna was three. So there's three years between my youngest and Anna. And um, my, the biggest thing about getting pregnant again for me was how was I going to manage the pelvic girdle pain with two other kids? You know, so like that was the biggest thing for me. And I actually did manage it better only because I started to share with my husband and my family and my colleagues at work what I was dealing with. Like I was kind of being vulnerable. Like I said, look, I, I actually can't. I wish I could soldier on here and tell you like I can stay working the way I normally work. But this pelvic pain is terrible and I'm going to have to like pull back big time. And I had to pull back at home and like that was the only way I got through it by sharing with people what I was actually dealing with in terms of the pain, you know. And uh, so but then we went in for our, you know, the first scan and, you know, you're so excited for your first scan. You know, because you can start telling people, like, even though I don't know why we don't tell people now, actually, with the minute you're pregnant. But anyway, that's the way it was six or seven years ago. And um, went in for the first scan in Limerick, couldn't get par- parking in there, it was packed. Went into the antenatal clinic, absolutely packed, no seats. I had to stand like for hours, right? It was, we were there, the toilets were blocked, right? We were there for five hours um, going through the checks, you know, where you get your first scan, then you talk to the midwife. And we were still waiting for bloods with the phlebotomist. We were still waiting for bloods. And at this point, I'd been there five hours. I might have got a seat at some point. And I just said to Eamon, like, let's go. Like, I can't wait any longer. I'll just get my bloods done at the GP, you know. And I came out and I sat in the car and I said, I just was so deflated, you know. And I said, like, God, Eamon, like it's terrible in there. And Eamon is a dairy farmer. And he said, I wouldn't do that to the cows. He said, I wouldn't leave them standing for hours in a strange place. They don't know what people handling them. They don't know. I wouldn't do it to the cows, you know? And I was like, I know. There must be a better way, I said to him. There must be a better way. And I remember saying to him in the car, maybe a home birth. And then he was like, are you mad? (laughs) He was like, that's mad. And I was like, yeah, that's mad. <laughs> I didn't know anyone who'd had a home birth, right? So I was like, in my mind, I was like, oh, that's for hippies, right? <laughs> it's like, so um, that was that. That was that conversation, right? And then it kind of popped into my head again at around 23 weeks. And I looked it up. I Googled it. I was like, oh, it's actually a home birth system with the HSE. No one had ever told me that. The HSE never told me that. No one in the maternity told me that, right? I was like, oh. And there's a woman here in Clock Jordan, which is only out the road. So I rang her. I just rang her. And I said, I'm thinking about home birth. And she asked me when. And I told her that. And then she said, OK. And then she asked all the criteria. And I was like, and then she goes, yeah, you meet the criteria and I'm available. Um, would you like to come out and talk to me? And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And I said it to my husband when he came in. I said, I, I want to have a home birth. I spoke to the midwife. I loved her. She sounded amazing. Um, he was like, no way. No, not doing it. Anything could go wrong. And I was like, okay, okay, look, let's just go meet her. Like, and if you still don't want to do it afterwards, fair enough. But let's just go meet with her and have a conversation. And then he said, okay, okay, where does she, this is the funny part. Where does she live? The eco village. <laughs> and he was like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> 
eco village. And I was like, yeah, but sure, there's nothing wrong with eco village. And he was like, oh, we went out to meet her. And she's just a fabulous woman. She's British and she's just so fabulous, right? And I just immediately was like in love with her. I was just like, I love her. Like, and I came out and Eamon said, okay, we can do it. We can do it. We can have the home. Oh, brilliant. So did he have an, have an opportunity then to ask questions yeah, or ask yeah. anything that was on his mind? Yeah, he did. And he, he did. And she just was so lovely and he knew she was so professional and she knew her stuff. And, you know, like I, I, I came away completely at ease. and then once we made the decision I kind of started looking up all the literature and like was actually reading actually home birth is equally risky as hospital birth nothing is risk free Mm -hmm. in anything to do with life like pregnancy birth life nothing is risk free but the risks according to the literature were equal so I was like well why not then you know and but I didn't tell anyone Cora I didn't tell anyone I, because I was afraid of being judged. And a lot of people take that approach because they don't want, they work so hard on their mindset when it comes to home birth and creating that space that they don't want don't, other opinions. Yeah, they don't want to well. be shaken. Like you don't mm. want to get the sea of opinions that are going to mm. shake you, you know. Um, so I didn't tell anyone, um, which at one point was a little bit ridiculous because Towards the end of the pregnancy, my Helen was here. They show up like at 36 weeks and they kind of go through stuff. And um, I met my mother-in-law came and I had to get Helen to hide. <laughs> it's just ridiculous, like, you know. Um, but um, I just couldn't. You're fragile, you know. Yeah, it is that. you can't. It's more that you just can't take all the what ifs that people are going to say to you, you know. But again, and I think it was from my first experience, I felt really intuitively that this was going to be fine. Now, that may sound naive, but like I just did. You know, I I felt it was going to be fine. And um, towards the end now, I did start telling people that I knew I could trust, you know, not my not my mother. <laughs> That's really bad. I, and actually, in hindsight, I, 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 th- I think I'd like to acknowledge that my mother would have been fine with it. You know, actually, I think she would have been fine with it. Um, But I made a judgment that she wouldn't be, you know. But it was really more that, like, I just didn't want the questions and the, you know. Yeah. You probably didn't want to worry her either. I just was like, I just can't handle the questions, you know. And, like, I did say it to a really good friend of mine. And she said Mm. the very first question she asked me was, like, what happens if something goes wrong? everyone asks that do they ask that to someone that's going in for a hospital birth what happens if something goes wrong when the risk is equal you know but so there's a judgment there like if something goes wrong and you have a home birth it's the mother's fault if something goes wrong in the hospital it's the hospital's fault you know so that's the, the difference you know um but anyway um i said it to um a friend that's a photographer right and she said to me oh my god I would love to um, document that I would love to document that so then so then I went so this is what happened then right I went like 12 days still no sign I was 12 days over and with the home birth scheme you can go to 14 days and it was just it was all looking like it was going to fall through Helen was kind of starting to wash her hands of me you know she was like setting me up to be transferred into hospital 
Sorry, Eilish. Bye. And you formed a great relationship with them because you do all your antenatal appointments with them, you know. And I was like, oh, no. And then part of me was really glad I hadn't told anyone then because it would have been like, oh, well, I ended up in hospital anyway. You know, and that does happen. So many people, you know, but. um, But sure. So I had to go into hospital and to be induced on the Saturday. It was a Saturday, I think. Yeah, no, can't remember now. But anyway, I had to go in the following morning at eight o'clock to be induced. The day before, at around like three or four o'clock, I was like, oh, I think I'm starting to get pains. Like, you know, and then I kind of, by six o'clock, I was like, okay, no, I'm actually definitely in labor. So I rang Helen and Helen was like, Helen, I'm in labor. Do I still have to go into hospital? And she was like, no, once you've started, that's it. Even if you're, even if you haven't delivered by eight o'clock, if you started now, we're still, you're still in our scheme. And I was like, okay, great. And she had told me actually to get a doula. So, Cause she was like, I'm a midwife. I'm there for all the midwifery stuff. Who's going to support you? Is it going to be your husband? Is he good? And I was like, no, no, it's not going to be him. And I, she said, get a doula. So I had a doula, Kim. And I was probably a bit weird about that as well, but like, like she was amazing. Right. So she, she, Helen said to me, get call, call Kim and get her to communicate with me. So, so then Kim came over maybe at around nine. So had you met, sorry, had you met Kim beforehand? Yeah, I had, yeah, I had met her before that a few times. Yeah. And, um, she came over at around nine and, um, she was training to be a doula. So this was like her second home birth, you know, so it was new for her. But what was brilliant about it then was she communicates with Helen. I don't have to worry about any of that, you know. So at some point she must have rang Helen and said, you know, come, you know. Um, but the photographer came like at nine as well. Like, so Selena was here and we were having a great chat with Selena. Like, and it turned out that having Selena here was actually the best thing because it never occurred to me afterwards. She's obviously used to doing loads of weddings and she's used to going into situations that are potentially kind of stressful, you know? So she's, she's like gifted at like diffusing things, you know? So she was like amazing with my husband. She was amazing with him. Like, and she just was, she was just amazing. Like, and her pictures are absolutely beautiful like you know um but um so then Helen came at midnight and um and how were you at that stage had you started to I was I yeah the contractions were pretty regular they were hard when they were coming they were really hard but then in between I was really good really calm in my own space with my own food with my people kids were asleep upstairs it was just so lovely I had my music I had you know in between it was perfect when they came still hard it's hard no matter where you do it you know whether it's at home but in between it was nice you know and um then we set up the pool and my husband went out and got the water from the farm he got special barrels and everything you know to be able because our water tank isn't big enough and then and then I got into the pool at around like three or half three maybe it was four o'clock around in the morning that was fabulous that, that really got like pain down again you know and um now there was a point I think probably around the you know when just before she came maybe half an hour before she came that I was like this is crazy Eilish why did you think this is a good idea without drugs like in what what space in your mind did you think delivering a baby is a good idea without drugs like I remember having this conversation with myself going what were you thinking 
<laughs> like, and um, and then I just remember like just feeling like I was in my ha- on my hands and knees over the edge of the pool, and I literally could feel. And I say this to women in my classes: I could literally feel my tailbone like pull away from pelvis. Like oh, it was wow. like a door opening. So I'm always saying to the women, whatever you do, do not be on your back, right? Because your tailbone cannot move. They call it a flexible sacrum. Like the amount of movement I could feel, like it literally just pulled away from my pelvis. And Helen never once touched me, my midwife, right? The only time she touched me was to put her hands, stroke my hands or stroke my face right and she never interfered at all next thing so next thing the head came out and then at at this point was the only point she touched me where she kind of she just said I'm just going to hook the shoulder out you know she just said I'm just going to hook the shoulder out and then I could feel that that was the only time in the whole procedure that I was actually touched like as in down there and um next thing next push baby out six around six six thirty in the morning and oh my god like just a relief like and I felt so powerful I just felt so powerful like I had done this on my own like without anyone really like okay I had my team but my body my body had done it on its own you know and I had remained calm it wasn't like the situation with Anna where I turned into this psychotic woman screaming at my husband to get the labor room ready. You know, I wasn't psychotic. Like this time I was calm, you know, ish, you know, like, and uh, no stitches, no tears, no nothing. And she was nine something. And I got out of the water. They wrap you up like in a duvet and put me on the couch and Eamon did skin to skin. And then you kind of do go into a bit of shock. They warn you about that. Like afterwards, you kind of like, so I was in my duvet. And, you know, the pictures are funny because you can see I'm a bit like, oh, and Eamon told and the baby delighted. <laughs> like he's, he's there on the couch with the baby. Like, and I'm just like, oh. <laughs> and, uh, and then all our family came in. So then we rang everyone and said, oh, we've had the baby come in at home. So we start, Eamon started ringing everyone. Eamon was delighted. He started ringing his brother, his sisters, his mother. I rang my mother. I was like, Mammy, I had the baby. And she was like, what? What do you mean? <laughs> we had it at home. And she was like, I'm coming over. <laughs> like, and did, did she think that you had the baby at home? She thought because I was going make the following it? morning. Yeah, she yeah, thought I was right. the following morning. Like, so she was like, what do you mean? Um, so... Um, and then it was just so lovely. Like, do you know the loveliest thing about it then is like, you know, all your family are there and they come in and then you go upstairs to your own room, right? You go into your own shower, your own stuff. And then you, and then the midwife, Helen stays, she does this. It's always, she stays until she tucks the mother into the bed with the baby. So she was there from midnight until I'd say 11 o'clock the following day. And she knew me. Like, as in, we'd had all the antenatal appointments. She knew my history. She knew everything about me. She was with me for the whole process. Um, she came every day for the next week. Was so caring. Like, I remember when she was doing the heel prick, she was, like, warming up the heel with hot water. 
you know, making sure the child was on the breasts when she did the prick. Um, I was just like, it's just this amazing service, like amazing service. Like, first of all, you know, you'd get all your antenatal appointments with them. They give you so much time. Then they're there with you for the whole labor, just you and them one on one. It's not like one to 33 births the way it is in the maternity hospitals you know one birth one midwife to 33 births you know it's one-on-one the whole time it's just this amazing service like I just was just afterwards I couldn't believe I was telling everyone like I was like this is an amazing service like why isn't it available to everyone and it's free it's free I know yeah that's the biggest like I think a lot of obviously um birth at home is becoming is on the up yeah. thankfully but yeah. I think people just don't realize that this huge service and then you go you have your two weeks um care with your midwife and then you're just hands over to PHN and then you're seen by the PHN and you still have your doctor so you're just cared by so many people in those few weeks it's great it's just it was just an amazing experience an amazing service like and and I and I just felt so powerful as well that I had been enabled to do that by myself. Like I had been enabled. And because afterwards you just kind of really get that if you trust your intuition, you really hone in on that. Like I really got like that. I, my intuition is strong. And also I got like that. I just felt really powerful afterwards. I felt like, oh my God, like I did this, like I birthed this baby, like by myself. And like, but I mean, I'm not like, I know homework can occur to some people as extreme or, you know, I don't know how it can. I think it's changing, which is brilliant. But back then, like six, seven years ago, it was still a bit like, you know, um, but like, I just think every woman should be given the choice of whatever they want. You know, like no one told me about homebirth in the HSE. It was never mentioned to me once. You know, I knew no one in my class at home had a home birth. Now, subsequently, I did discover one woman and we became like secret buddies, you know. Um, but no one in my classes had, had done it, you know. And um, so, like, I just think it's just this fabulous service. Like, and because um, the care is so consistent, it's so, so thorough. Um, and and then the sad thing about it was afterwards, like what they get paid given the amount of hours they actually put in is like ridiculous, like three euros an hour or something ridiculous, you know, but what she found afterwards, what was really hard was just not being able to kind of plan because, you know, she had a woman that was on her books about to maybe go, like she wouldn't be able to go out anywhere, have a drink or anything like that. So after a while she kind of said, Oh, you know what? I'm going to go into, she went and worked in the maternity to try and set up the home birth service. And then it didn't, it didn't work out she left after a few you know yeah I just think like it should be available to everyone like no matter what choice like everyone is individual you don't know where you've come from and the thing about it for me was because I had delivered my second without the epidural I had this knowledge I had this kind of awareness that I could do it you know um and I I don't know if I would have I, I don't know if I could have done it on my first because my conditioning was very much around hospitals and I'm medically trained obviously I've worked there you know um and so that was kind of so I but like I I did it and now I'm like oh like it's just such this and but the services have been really pulled back on like the public home birth services are really being pulled back on and I I 
my hope and my my hope for my kids is that they can that this service would be there you know but like it's only going to be there if women look for it and 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 I think that's why I kind of wanted to share my story and I'm going to share the pictures like because like but I didn't know this was one of the side effects that I didn't realize actually Helen I was in communication with Helen recently again like seven years later we had been out of communication and something came up since I took my career break I asked her to come and do an Instagram live and it was so great to reconnect to her like you know and after I had had Maria I made a photo book for her of all of the photos like and they're black and white and like really fabulous like you know Selena is like a really good photographer and um I made a book for her and she told me, she said, Eilish, I have shown that book to hundreds of couples and it has inspired so many. You know, as you see the journey, Selena literally took it from beginning to end, like the whole journey, you know. And I was like, wow, like I didn't foresee that, that that was going to be what would come from making the decision about having a photographer there or not you know it wasn't that I was like it, it's more that I know Selena's really cool and she was going to be amazing and she was like so but now I'm like oh my god like I she was meant to be there because maybe maybe just maybe we're inspiring and changing the narrative through these images yeah absolutely yeah 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 well I 100% believe that yeah yeah they are fabulous like you know um yeah so so that's so that's it so like I had very positive birth experiences you know but but what's been really hard for me when because I work with pregnant women all the time is just seeing how slow the changes have been to improve Mm. services like like I actually think they're midwives are just at their limit I'd say you know oh yes yeah and they're like um and you see, I'm not I'm not extreme enough to go out and protest, you know, and I really respect and honor the women that do it. When I see them, I'm like, oh, God. And, but it's it's not even it's just that, like, I just can't, you know, kids. And I think that's what women we're in. All of us are in this position. We're all so busy being doing mothering and being mothers and all of the stuff that comes with that, that we don't have time or energy or will to actually change the services for the future, the future women. Well, thank you so much for sharing your birth stories. And I will keep a close eye on the bumper. You're doing so much at the moment, so I'll make sure to share as much as I can because I know a lot of women will benefit from your services. It's lovely to meet you and keep doing this. Keep doing what you're doing. It's amazing. Oh, thank you, Ailish. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You are more than welcome to share your story if you'd like to. So simply pop me an email over at irelandsbirthstories.ie or you can get in touch on the Instagram page. I'm quick at responding to emails and I am on, on Instagram. So... Yeah, you're more than welcome to share your story. Just get in touch and I will chat to you soon. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.